Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Happy Fourth of July or Independence Day. Um, I think John appropriately talked about it. Thank you so much, John, about uh, what it means. And it, it means so much to different people. I think the biggest thing for the church and the thing that we are called to pray for in our nation is that we would be able to peacefully practice our worship of God. And so thankfully we can do that. And so yeah, so about 245 years ago today, a little history lesson for all of us, um, the representatives of the 13 colonies adopted the Declaration of Independence, which listed, by the way, if you've ever read it, has anybody ever read it? You're like, back when I was in... 10th grade history class, right? Um, so anyways, <laughs> there was listed on there a, a bunch of abuses that the uh, people of the colonies believed that the King of England had been carrying out against them. And it would take seven years of fighting after that declaration um, that the, the colonies would finally gain their independence, again, which we are so grateful for as we are recipients of that, again, because mostly we can worship our Lord in peace, right? And, and this was not something easily won, if you know a little bit about it. It was not, and it is not something that is promised to be kept. In fact, today, freedom is still sought for, fought for, and defended, as I was thinking about this, the freedom of our country, it is in stark contrast to the freedom that we have in Christ. As believers in Christ, we have a much greater freedom, one that is, is not on shaky ground like our democratic republic. It's one that cannot be taken away, and it's one that neither you or I needed to fight for. So today, we're going to look at the freedom that we have in Christ and then commemorate it by partaking of communion together. So open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. We are going to take a break from our uh, studies in Mark. And we're just going to look at a few verses here in John. Turn with me to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 36. Again, talking about our freedom in Christ. And at the end, we'll have a time of communion. So here in the Gospel of John, Jesus is addressing some of the Jews who had believed in him. And this is what he says. It says, Jesus, therefore, saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know this truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, for the son does remain forever. 
If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. These are verses that are what we're probably very familiar with. And I want to talk a little bit about that freedom again and, and concentrate again, as I mentioned, the freedom that we have in Christ. And how are we made free according to this text? Well, we are made free, if you look at verse 32 again, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We are made free by knowing the truth, Jesus says. And that truth has been talked about in the first seven chapters of John. And obviously, we don't have time to go over it. So uh, just real quickly, the truth that he's talking about is the truth of the gospel. He says, you're going to know the truth of the gospel, and that will make you free. And that truth that he was telling them about, the truth is that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been looking for. That is the truth. Jesus is the one who had come to save his people from their sins, as John the Baptist had proclaimed in chapter 1. This is the truth that they needed to know. This is the truth that them realizing it, their need for this is what would lead to freedom. They needed to admit that they needed this truth. That's why in verse 33 they say, we've never been enslaved to anybody, right? They're thinking of physical captivity, and obviously Jesus is speaking spiritually. And again, they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? They're saying, we're already free. We don't need to be freed from anything. And again, that's when Jesus says in verse 34, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That is a key. They needed to understand the truth that they needed freedom from their sins. And that hasn't changed for today. There are many people, even sitting within the church, who don't believe they need to be freed from their sins. They think they're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. I haven't killed anybody. I don't steal. I don't revolt. I'm okay. I don't need to be freed from anybody. I don't need a Savior. I don't need to be saved from my sins. And so without knowing that truth, Jesus is right. You cannot be free. You need to be freed from the slavery of sin. And so how are you made free? Number one, by knowing the truth, the truth of the gospel. So how do we learn that truth? Jesus actually started off this section, verses 31 and ending in 32, telling them, how do you learn this truth? Look at verse 31 again. Jesus says, if you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth. So how do you learn this truth? Jesus says, by being a disciple of Jesus and abiding in my word. First, it's going to the source of all truth. Remember in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is by going to the source of the truth that you will understand what truth is. Truth in this context is not relative. Jesus is saying, I'm the truth, and I'm going to teach the truth. And the only way you're going to know that truth is if you come and learn of me and you stay in my word, which is the second point of how do you learn the truth. One, being a disciple of Jesus and abiding in his word which means holding on to the teachings of Jesus, internalizing them, believing them, 
Biblical scholar D.A. Carson said it best when he says this, A genuine believer remains in Jesus' word, his teachings. Such a person obeys it, seeks to understand it better, and finds it more precious, more controlling precisely when others force, excuse me, more controlling precisely when other forces flatly oppose it. A disciple of Jesus presses into God's word, wants to understand what God wants in his or her life, and seeks to follow after God. That is a disciple. As we are learning in the Gospel of Mark, remember all these men in the Gospel of Mark left their profession to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. And in the same way, we as believers, we leave a certain part of our own self in order to follow after Jesus, to hold on to Jesus' teachings, to obey Him, to seek to understand it, to better find out what He means. I hope that's why you are here this morning. Right? We can all stay home and read our Bible, but we want to come here. Part of coming together is learning more about it, seeking God's Word. I want to press in closer to God's Word. I want to worship God with my brothers and sisters. John said it, and I love John when he says this, when he, this saying of his that Christianity is a, who knows, team sport. It's not in isolation. The devil loves to get us in isolation, to be by ourselves, to say that we don't need anybody because that's when he messes us up psychologically and sometimes even physically. We need each other. We need the church. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. So no matter where you go in your life, I would always encourage you to seek and find fellowship among other believers. Christianity, again, is not meant to be lived in isolation. Jesus gathered men to him to do life together. So how do we learn this truth? Again, is by being a disciple of Jesus and abiding in his word. So, the are these men that were questioning Jesus about what show, you know, we don't need to be freed from anything. It's the same question maybe some of us are asking. What are we freed from? Or maybe some of you don't understand. What do we have? What are we free? What is this freedom in Christ? And this is uh, the best part, I believe, of Christianity is these next few points. What are we freed from? In verses 34 through 36, I want to read those again because this is one answer. We're going to go to some other verses after this. In verses 34, when Jesus was answering that question where they were saying, we've never been enslaved to anybody, Jesus again says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So right there, you are freed from sin as a believer. Does that mean you never sin ever again? Obviously the answer is, no, that's not true, because we've all sinned. We will all continue to sin for the rest of our lives. That's another study for another day. But what does he mean when he says you're free from sin? How are we freed from sin? There are a number of things. Uh, to address in this question, how are, what are we freed from, particularly how are we freed from sin? 
Well, we are freed from sin in a, a few ways. First, we need to realize that we are sinners by nature, right? When we were born, we were born into sin. The book of Romans talks about this. There is something inside of each and every one of us that will live forever within us until Christ, not forever, in this life until Christ returns. It is our sinful nature. We have a predisposition towards sinfulness, right? If we're left to ourselves, we always probably choose to do the wrong thing. We have to fight against that, right? The Apostle Paul talked about that in Romans 7, that famous section where he says, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will free me from, you know, this evil inside of me? Each and every one of us, whether you believe it or not, has evil inside of you. And if you don't believe me, ask somebody that's close to you and they'll tell you. You have a tendency to do things mean. You're mean sometimes, right? It's just our nature. We choose the wrong thing. That's part of our nature. And it's something we battle as Christians for the rest of our lives. So we're not freed from sin in that way. That will never sin again. But we are freed from the bondage and control of sin. We are freed from the power of sin. We have the freedom now in Christ and power to do the right thing and be happy about doing it. We're not, you know, begrudgingly doing the right things. We want to do the right things. We follow God. We let the Holy Spirit control us and we do the right things at some times. The non-believer does not have the power. They do not have the power to choose to do what God, what is pleasing to God. But we do as believers. That's what Jesus is saying. We are no longer controlled and held bondage to sin. Again, we have the freedom to do what we ought to do and be pleased in doing it. The Holy Spirit now controls each and every believer in Christ. The Holy Spirit controls us, leads us, convicts us as we yield to that spirit. The problem is, is we have this sinful nature, right, that always battles. You know, it's like that little, those little cartoons where like the devil's on one shoulder and the angel's on one shoulder telling you what to do and the other ones, you know, they're fighting against each other. That's the war that goes on within the believer. The non-believer does not have the Holy Spirit convicting and controlling and prodding them on to do what is right. We do. That is what Jesus is talking about. When we are freed from sin, we no longer are in control or held bondage to sin. And one of my favorite parts of this freedom is this one, is that we are free from the consequences of sin. We are freed from the consequences of sin. Now this doesn't mean the consequences in this life because when we sin in this life, guess what? God will still hold us accountable. We may still suffer the repercussions of our bad choices in this life. It's not like Monopoly where you have a get-out-of-jail-free card in this life. But it is a get-out-of-jail-free card in the next life. Because the consequences of sin is judgment from God. We will not face the judgment of God for the sins we have committed against Him. And that is good news. That is freedom. The judgment that we have freedom from is spiritual death. 
We will not die spiritually. We will not suffer the consequences of our sin. I think this is best summarized in Romans chapter 8. If you turn there with me, two books to the right of John. Romans chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 3. When you get a chance, I would encourage you to read uh, all of Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a few verses here. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin, which we talked about, and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, He condemned sin In the flesh. Because of what God had done through His Son Jesus Christ, basically putting our penalty upon Him, means that we do not suffer the consequences. We are not condemned before God. When God sees us, when we stand before God, He sees us as innocent, guilt free. I think that's beautiful. So I've committed sin against God but He's not holding me accountable for it. He's letting me off the hook, so to speak, because Jesus Christ has already paid the price. That's some good news. This is the, in the conclusion, just drop down to the end of Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 through 39. The conclusion of, of this, what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn God's elect is what He's saying. Because of what he said in between these two verses that we're reading, verses 3 and now verses 31, he's saying, because of all this, who can put you on trial? Who can condemn you because of what God has done? Look at what he says. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He's asking that question because of what God has done, because there's no condemnation to us, who's going to hold us accountable? Who's going to separate us from God? And he answers just as it is written in verse 36. For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus our Lord. 
He's like, it's like if you went to court and you were put on trial, the judge let you off scot-free because of what Jesus had done. And they don't haul you off to prison and said they let you go and you walk out the door. That's what's going to happen on the day of judgment. When you stand before God, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and the, he sees you and he just says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. He's not going to bring up your past sins because they've all been paid for. The scary part is for those who refuse Christ in this life when they stand before the Lord God and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you will go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity because you refuse the free gift of Jesus Christ. That's the scary part. That's why I say this is the best part because that is not our future. It is not my future. Praise be to God for that. So we are free from sin. We are from the power of sin. We are free from the consequences of sin. And not only that, we are free from guilt and shame. We are free from the guilt of our sins, as I had already mentioned. Even though we are guilty when we stand before God, we're free from that guilt because Christ has paid the price. And we no longer are guilty. And we no longer have to be put to shame for what we did. God is not going to bring it back up and go, you remember that time that you did this, and then there's going to be a big screen, and he's going to show you what you did. No. Right? Jesus says, as far as the east, or the word says, as far as the east is to the west, so far removed are your sins. And he will remember them no more. Again, the scary part is, for those who deny Christ, and he says, this is what you did, and you are going to pay for these sins, because he is going to remember them. That is the scary part. But for those who find freedom in Christ, they are freed from guilt and shame. Not only that, one more thing we are free from, we can be free from the fear of death. There's no longer any reason to fear death. right? For death is not the end for us as believers. In death there is no condemnation. We don't have to be worried about standing before the Lord and suffering for our sins. Jesus' work on the cross delivers us from the fear of death. I love this verse in Hebrews. You can turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 2, particularly verses 14 and 15. Says this. He says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself Likewise, also partook of the same, that through death, speaking of Jesus, he might render powerless him who had the power over death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those, look at this, who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He's saying those people who were afraid of death, they don't have to be afraid anymore because Christ has defeated the devil. He's defeated death. I like what uh, Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, our Puritan pastor, said about this verse, about fearing death. This is what he says. He says, therefore, since the children share in... Oh, that's not it. 
My bad. Here it is. <laughs> I was reading that verse. He says this. Let those who dread death. This is actually an appeal to those who may deny Christ. He says, let those who dread death and strive to get the better of their terror no longer attempt to outbrave or stifle them, no longer grow careless or wicked through despair. So instead of trying to hide from death or overcome it through any means necessary, he says this, let them not expect help from the world or human devices, but let them seek pardon, peace, grace, and a lively hope of heaven by faith in him who died and rose again, that thus they may rise above the fear of death. He's saying don't try to find comfort and shelter in yourself or in this world. Instead, seek Jesus Christ. I've told you this story a few times if you've been in this church. My hope as a teenager to escape death was that one day science was going to discover how I can live forever. And that was my hope. Or, hey, you know what? Maybe they'll freeze me when I get old enough, and then they'll learn how to unfreeze me so that I can live together. This was my thought as, you know, somewhere when I was in high school. This is what my exposure to religion was, I guess. And here Matthew Henry is saying, don't trust in that. Because guess what? Even if they learn to unfreeze you, you're probably going to die one day. Or how do you know they're going to get you before you die when they freeze you? Basically, we cannot trust in this world to live forever. We could trust only and seek, as Matthew Henry says, the lively hope of heaven by faith in him who died and rose again, that thus they may rise above the fear of death. We don't fear death as believers because we know what death brings. It brings us, it brings us closer to Christ. It brings eternal life. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. Right? <clears throat> so, all these freedoms, all these freedoms are found where? Only in Christ. Only when, in what Christ has done. Again, we don't have to fear death. Right? We can embrace it, right? I hope you look, well, I don't want to say hope you look forward to death, but... Beyond death, what is there for us as believers? There's, there's the assurance that one day we'll see Christ, our Lord and Savior. There's the assurance that we'll inherit heavenly new bodies. We'll be living in a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying. We'll be reunited with those who have died in the Lord. We'll see friends and family. And loved ones, again, that is not promised to those who die without Christ, right? Scripture describes hell as a place of utter darkness and loneliness. Imagine being in utter blackness for eternity where you can't see anything at all and you're left with nothing but the memories of those times that you rejected Christ for all eternity. That is a scary thought. To have no contact with anybody forever. No comfort of touch or hugging. Just total darkness and fear and isolation. That's what's in store for those who reject Christ. Again, our freedom is only found in Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the one who declared us free. He secured our freedom by his death, burial, and resurrection. He sustains our freedom by the power of his Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned, his Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we do not have to fight for our freedom. We don't have to do anything for our freedom because it is already done. All we do is repent of our sins and believe in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture commands us to do. So before we partake of communion, let me say these last few things here. To those who have yet to commune with Christ, those who have yet to repent and believe, I would urge you, like Matthew Henry did in his comments on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, I would encourage you to do this, to seek pardon, peace, grace, and a lively hope of heaven by faith in him who died and rose again, that you may rise above the fear of death. That is my encouragement to you this morning. If you have yet to receive Christ as Savior, that you would repent of your sins and believe on him. And for those of us, my second point of application this morning, for those of us who commune with Christ, who are believers, let us live as 1 Peter chapter 2, 16 through 18 says, live as free people in Christ. And I want to read that verse to you. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. Since we are free in Christ, we should live as free people, just as this verse says, um, yeah, 16 through 18 in First Peter chapter 2 says this, Act as free men. Act as free men is his command. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, a bond, use it as bond slaves of Christ. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So how do we live as free people in Christ according to 1 Peter? Number one, do not use your freedom as an excuse for sin. What do I mean by that? Well, you're saying, well, hey, I'm going to heaven. There's no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. If I sin, God's going to forgive me, which is true. But as a believer, you don't do, that's not your desire, right? And like, hey, I can do whatever I want because God's going to forgive me because I'm saved. That's the wrong attitude. And that's what Peter's saying. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Right? Oh, because I'm a Christian, I can do this and God will forgive me. That's the wrong attitude. Don't use your freedom for that. Instead, he says, use your freedom as a bond slave of Christ. Basically, use your freedom to serve God. How do you serve God? What does he say? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood, which are brothers and sisters in the church. Fear God. Honor the king, which means our political leader. Right? Whether you voted for President Biden or not, you are called to honor the king, the president. In other verses, we're called to pray for them. We should pray that God would give him wisdom. 
that God would surround him with godly people to give him good advice. Lord knows he needs it. Those are not always the most pure. The motives aren't always pure with people around other people with power. So pray that God would surround our king with godly wisdom. And verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters. I would apply this to those of us who are in the workforce. Hey, how many of you love your supervisor or manager? Don't raise your hand. I'm one of those. I'm a manager. Be submissive to them. And look at what it says, not just because they're good, even when they're unreasonable. How many have unreasonable supervisors or managers at work? Again, don't raise your hand. You might be on TV. We're called to be servants to them, submissive to them. Right? If you, if you kept reading, verse 19 says, for this finds favor, basically with God. God wants us to use all that we have in our homes, in our workplace, to glorify Him, to live as free people, as bond slaves to Him. And again, we do all this because we are free in Christ, because of what Christ has done for us. And so when we, part, when we partake of communion in a few moments... We are doing this because it is reminding us what Jesus has done. He allowed His body to be broken for us. He allowed His body to be beaten for us. He allowed His blood to be spilled for us. And because of that, we have freedom in Christ. So before I pray, I'm going to uh, just say this. So uh, in a few moments, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in worship. Pastor John and I are going to come down the aisles with the communion cups. I ask that you would hold on to those until everybody has it, and then I'll come back up here and pray over those, and we'll partake together, right? And this is, except for that person, whoever that was, we're going to partake together because we're free in Christ, because we repent and believe and trust in the work of Christ. And I would encourage those this morning who have yet to believe that, that you would repent and believe and experience this freedom in Christ. And if you don't want to do that, if you're saying, no, I still don't believe, then I would ask that you would refrain from communion out of respect to Christ because you don't believe. But again, I would encourage you to believe. Repent and believe on the work of Jesus Christ. There's so much that God has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for your word and more importantly for your work. Lord, that you would come upon this earth and take upon you the form of a man and suffer and die for us for our freedom. We thank you so much for that, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that we have from sin, the freedom that we have from condemnation, from guilt and shame, and even death. We thank you, Lord God, that there's so much more beyond this life that we have yet to experience. And may that encourage us to continue on 
to continue hard following after You. May it spur us on to good works. May it spur us on to be witnesses in this world, in our homes, in our workplaces, and out in the communities that You have placed us in. May it spur us on in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of uncertainty, and even in the midst of confusion, Lord, when we don't understand what's going on. May we trust in You. Help us to do that, Lord God. And we thank You once again for all that You have done for us. And I pray for those in this room and those who are listening, if any of them have yet to taste and see that You are good. Lord, that You would move in their hearts and their minds. That You would cause them to repent of their sins and cause them to believe on the work that You have done. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.